everyone. It's Dane. This is the Business of Creativity podcast where we get to find better ways together to make cool stuff and create disproportionate value from that stuff. I decided to mix things up a little this week and instead of leading with one of your questions, I went with one of my own that I've been thinking about for a long time. My hunch is you have two. The question revolves around one simple thing, your story. Or more specifically, how do you tell an honest narrative that compels the person listening to take action, to do something? I mean, isn't that what we all try to do? We create things and then we tell stories to persuade people to buy in. But how do we do that in a way that doesn't make us feel dirty or slick or manipulative? Or better said, how do we do that in a way that does change our world for the better? Precisely because we told it in a way that was true and invited others into a bigger life. In a recent conversation with Jonah Sachs, best-selling author of The Story Wars and creator of the YouTube viral hit The Story of Stuff with Annie Leonard, I had a chance to do a deeper dive around how to craft a brilliant story, and it was so good, I couldn't resist sharing it. Quick side note before we get started, we have a lot more going on than this show over at FastTrackCreative.com that not everyone knows about. And if that's you, you'll want to sign up for our newsletter at the site. It's free, and of course, you can always opt out. I hope you check it out. Okay, back to the conversation with Jonah. I'm Dane Sanders, and this is Converge. this book called story wars and in it you talk a lot about things like archetypes and myths and these kind of words that you hear get thrown around in popular culture but aren't often defined clearly so what do you mean by there are story wars going on well we live in this time now where information is overwhelming us and there was once a time where there was nothing more valuable than information you know imagine a couple hundred years ago if you had a map of the world how powerful and amazing that would be but now information is kind of nuisance in our lives. There's way too much of it and we don't know how to make sense of it. And when human beings get to that point where they need sense making, they've always you know, told stories in order to make sense of their world. They, they looked up at the billions of stars in the sky and they said, what did it mean? So they created stories to make, create sense out of it. And I think we're living at this moment right now where we thought if we could just get enough information into people's hands, we would be brilliant, the world would be ordered well, everyone would be happy, and in fact, it's overwhelming us. And so I think storytelling has become such an important part of communication now because people are so looking for filters and meaning-making, not just facts and ideas anymore, which, which are overwhelming. How many big stories are there that people could tell where people could make up that kind of meaning? Well, I realize I hadn't answered the question you asked before about the, what the story words are. And this, this question gets right at that, which is, you know, how many different morals are there? Are we just going to continually tell the same story again and again? And I think right now we're in a time where we're really trying to renegotiate what, how our world should be. We're trying to renegotiate so many norms. Things changed in the old days, you know, once a, once a generation. Now they seem to change every few years. What our sense of what's important and what's not. And stories, I say, are kind of like cultural DNA. They're the, the kind of tiny packets of information that tells us what to value, how the world works. And because our world's changing so fast, how the world works is changing so fast. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the of the story is really, this is how, this is a core truth about how the world works that makes intuitive sense, but expands your knowledge of it. And a good storyteller will put every character and every setting and every conflict on the surface of the story to illustrate, illustrate that core truth. A bad storyteller will just tell you a bunch of stuff and you walk away saying, well, what was that? Hmm. Uh, 
So I think right now we need new morals of the story. People are hungry for them uh, to catch up with the changing times. And so a lot of those old stories just sort of don't make that much sense anymore. So I think that we're renegotiating our, our moral outlook and we're renegotiating our uh, understanding of how the world works. And we need stories to make those ideas compelling because otherwise you just get up there and tell somebody, here's something that's important, do it, or here's a way to behave, do it. They'll say, well, why should I listen to you? Mm -hmm. It's a really compelling story in which some other character gets a great fate or has a horrible end. And they say, immediately our brains are programmed to say, wait a minute, that could happen to me if I behave that way. A lot of the folks that I get a chance to interact with started with ambitions of building a brand around themselves. So they are creative professionals, they're photographers, and they are putting their name.com into the world and saying, I wanna build a, a narrative around that that would be meaningful for the folks I wanna speak to. What comes to mind as I reflect on that, though, are the big brands. Like I think of, you know, the Tiger Woods and the Lance Armstrongs of the world. And here we have a Lance Armstrong who have these, this amazing narrative of, you know, near death, uh, cancer, survivor, uh, even even like this, uh, the, the, the kind of cancer he had added to the, the lore of it. And then he has to get on a saddle and he's, you know, races to seven and he's kind of, um, his, the hubris was amazing, the way that he would you know, turn back and say, you know, basically flip off everyone as he was so defiant in his efforts and he road railed everybody. But now it comes full circle and he falls from grace, admits he's, he's upside down and, um, and he's disgraced. And, and, and at the same time, as I'm around other people, there's this uh, conversation, this cultural conversation around a brand like that, that went, okay, that was a great myth. That was a great story, but it was false. It didn't, didn't actually happen. He, he lied to us. And, and even though there's great good and maybe the story's not done, this is just, you know, the epilogue's going to be even better. Who knows? Or it's a great tragedy and that's the great narrative. But how important is truth in the storytelling? Because it can feel a little bit, especially when you align narrative and storytelling around marketers it can sound, or marketing effort, it can sound manipulative to the point where people could get very cynical and callous to the story. Or, or maybe I'm off on that. Tell me, tell me your thoughts. Yeah, I mean, after after spending a lot of time writing this book and thinking about how to teach marketers how to tell better stories and get heard, I actually took a big step back and completely changed the subtitle of the book to not just be why those who tell the best stories will rule the future, but why those who tell and live the best stories will rule the future. And I realized as I got towards halfway through the process that stories need to be written from the inside out. They need to come from a deep sense of what our own values are as as organizations or single human beings, because at the heart of every story, beneath that moral of the story we were talking about, you always find core values. That's why people tell stories, is to spread their core values. So you need to start by understanding what do you actually stand for that is relevant to your audiences. And if you go and pick something that uh, puts you in a deeply hypocritical position, hmm. you'll be pretty sure that you're going to be found out in this transparent world. You know, it was only a few years ago that a, a brand could literally say just about anything. And you'd have a few angry people who would know better and know the truth, but they would have no one to talk to. I mean, even the Lance Armstrong story is really a technology story, right? Like he got away with it, but then better technology came out and exposed him for what he really was. And so we, we see it again and again, with a better, better story you tell, the more people come to a relationship with you with kind of high expectations. Mm. And 
you know, brand is a, is a complete experience. It's not just something you put on your website. It's, you know, it's what people feel when they're with you. It's, what, it's how you treat them. It's the product that you give them. That's the complete brand experience that makes you potentially viral. And if you can't deliver on that, you're just digging a huge hole for yourself. There's also these conversations with regular Joes like me who are just trying to, we're never going to be in that kind of a spotlight. And, but yet there's these micro spotlights, you know, so there's still this kind of danger that you're describing. Can, can little brands make, make myths? And when I say myth, we, we didn't really define that at the beginning by myth. I don't mean like, um, like a facade or something, but by myth, by myth, I mean like a big story. Uh, can a little brand make a big story? So let's go back for a moment and talk about what, what a myth is and, and how the zeitgeist kind of forms around breaking down myths and then how we as, as marketers, big or small, can start to fill them in. So um, myths are these, you know, we, we think of it as a, as a synonym for a lie today and we want to bust myths and we want to get past the myths, but really myths are the foundation of, uh, of meaning making in society. They're a foundation of culture and they bring together kind of four key things, explanation of how the world works, meaning this is what that, that, that story means for me. Um, they're stories, they're not literal recounting of facts, but they take place uh, long ago or far away. And ritual, they give you a way of acting those stories out. And so for a long time, you have these basic religious myths that drive culture. And so we kind of have a predictable world. We know that you know, God created the world in seven days, it's his world, we should be obedient to him, and there's all kinds of rituals that we can use to play that story out. As those stories start to make less and less sense, um, the, this kind of myth gap opens up and, and a lot of social scientists and anthropologists say that this is the first culture where there, our modern culture is sort of the first that they have known where there aren't universal myths that are shared. Um, and there's this feeling like, well, what's going to replace them? How can people survive without myths? And I argue in the book that actually marketers came and became our modern myth makers. So they provided explanation. Every new product is a new explanation of how, how to live. Uh, meaning, we know we all build our identity around brands. A story, you don't have to take their stories literally. You just, you know, the Marlboro Man is not real, but you believe in him. And ritual, like just consuming their products, are a way of living those stories out. So, um, the best brand campaigns often start looking for where is the where are the old stories no longer making sense? Um, where are old explanations kind of fraying, and people are looking for new ones. And um, so, you know, we've seen a lot of successful campaigns recently around uh, you know the economic crisis that we've seen, where the you know, the American dream myth started to fray, and so new stories come along about sort of what the, what the new American dream is and everything from consumer products to movements like Occupy and Tea Party tell new stories that help us re you know, understand what that, what that dream may be. So I think that for, for a marketer trying to tell a story on a smaller scale, it's not necessarily important to, to try to create the next Nike and not necessarily uh, desirable, but it is important to sort of be relevant to the moment and to the times that we're living in. And so that takes kind of starting with your audience, you know, not making yourself the hero of your own story, really looking out and figuring out how can I make my audience the potential hero of the story? That's what all great storytellers have done. And then say, how is my audience's world broken? You know, what is it that is not working? What are old explanations are no longer making sense? What are those frustrations that they're having trouble living out their values through? And if you can figure that out, you can start creating more relevant stories for photographers. What you know? What is that emotional transaction? Not just the, um, not just the, the, the financial transaction. They're not just trying to buy a product. They're they're trying to, in some ways, 
find a new explanation of their world, a new way of making themselves a hero to their family? And how can we sort of tap into that desire um, as opposed to just touting our facts and our figures? Talk a little bit about this need for uh, does it have to be true and what does true mean? Yes. Yeah, so in terms of truth, there are, you know, there, there are two, certainly two kinds of truth. There is, there are all the sort of uh, reality, testable, measurable facts on the ground that we uh, use to support a story. So, you know, like when we created Story of Stuff, that, that's a viral video we made about the materials, yeah. materials economy. There was, it was full of facts. And we worked really hard with, with our client to make sure that the true, that we had as much grounding as humanly possible. We wouldn't put anything in there that was not entirely true. But there was a renegotiation happening on the meaning level of what truth was. Because for so long, people had made their identities and their purpose in life to accumulate stuff. And we were actually saying, well, that is not a true path to happiness. And that is a different kind of truth. That's sort of, how do we make sense of our world? What do we value? And so our values deeply inform what we consider to be true. So let, for the sake of the audience, let me interrupt for one second and, and to give an example of this. So literally, it's funny, I grabbed this cup. Uh, this cup uh, was made for me by a, fr a group of people who I gave a workshop to. And it, at the bottom of it says, uh, Danes, discover what's inside coffee mug, a cup always more than half full. So let's go with that old cliche of um, objectively, we could all stand around and measure and agree together. There is liquid that uh, has 50% uh, occupancy of this cup. Um, so that's the data point. But the meaning behind the data point is, is it half full? You know, meaning uh, it's uh, on our way to potential or is it half empty? Like we're on our way to doom. Um, so right. so if, if, is that kind of a ballpark yeah, example then, of what you're describing? Sure. And the, ha and the half full, half empty is a, is a sort of basic metaphor. Now, you could add a story to that as well. If you chose to tell a story, I mean, this is a very basic story, but a story of how you had a delicious, rich, full cup of coffee that you slaved over to make and you came in and someone drank half of it before you got to it. Um, that is a very different spin than if you told a story about how uh, you had, you know, you had finished your coffee and you thought it was all gone and someone came and poured, uh, you know, poured half of it for you. And now you were surprised and, and pleased to find it. So what's the origin? What's the genesis of that half, uh, half full cup of story, half full cup of coffee? And what's <laughs> half, cu half full cup of story. That is perfect. <laughs> that's, your, that's your next book. Next book. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, what, how you choose to tell the story around it um, and make a myth around it is, you know, give us a sense of how you feel about it and how you feel about life. And so I do think that it's very important, you know, when we tell marketing stories, it's very, we, we are make, we're still making certain claims about what we do and what we can deliver. And it's very important that we are honest, as, as honest about that as we possibly can be. But the sense and the meaning that we make around it, I think, are really up for interpretation, up for grabs. If we try to say that we have finally, as a species, or it's finally arrived at a single truth about how the world works, you know, we're living in, in terrible illusions. So stories are great for trying out new ideas about how, about how the world works. So that it, it sounds as though, and again, this is more on the philosophical side of things, and it sounds a little bit like the only thing that we could actually hope to be as true is the data and the interpretation is totally up for grabs. I think that as long as we feel like we're as storytellers that we're in we're in integrity with our own values and the way that in, in creating these truths, then yeah, I, I think that that's probably the case. Like um, there are there are two different morals in the story that underlie 
hundreds, if not thousands of the most popular stories that we know. And one is he who hesitates is lost, right? So like the story about how all the other, all the other young people stayed home, but the one adventurer went out and took a risk and found the elixir and saves the village when you know, everything was, everything was uh, falling apart. And there were so many moments along the path where he could have had less risk, but he, but he went for it and he took, put his life on the line and he wins and now he's a hero. So that's constantly telling us that when you believe in something, take a risk. And you know you can think of a million stories about moral. There's lots of other stories um, with the, where the moral is better safe than sorry. Every cautionary tale is the same thing. Be be safe. Plan ahead. Know what you're doing. Avoid risk. And so um, I think that there's a those two stories have exact opposite morals of how the world works, and both are equally compelling and both are equally true. But um, how you what you choose to emphasize in the moral of the story is really uh, your take on how to live life. So, so uh, those who are listening to this in audio can't see this, but I'm holding up the inner liner of Seth Godin's new Icarus Deception, where he he says, you know, fly closer to the sun, and the myth that we have been living in, um, uh, especially coming out of the industrial age, is this idea of like, hey, play it safe, head down, uh, get a middle management job, get a pension, and he basically says, well, our times have shifted in such a way, the data has shifted in such a way that um, those, those uh, factories are no longer around. It, no, no, there's no widgets to turn. So now the moral of the story is actually, let's go back to the original Icarus uh, read. And he didn't just say, don't fly close to the sun because your wings will fall off because the wax will melt. But also don't fly too low because if you fly too low, um, you will, um, th that's far more dangerous because the waves will sweep you up and, and, and that'll take you down. And uh, is that kind of an example of, okay, so there's the myth. There's a gap. Let's speak into the gap, create a new meaning out of it. But really, the all, all Seth is really trying to say is, hey, do stuff, create <laughs> stuff, <laughs> uh, get get out of your couch and stop stop re watching reality TV and and get off of Facebook. Yeah, I think I mean that's a beautiful example. I'm glad you had that book jacket right there because um, it creates a kind of mnemonic. It creates a way for us to remember and a picture. You know, so if you go and rattle off the data, there's no picture that comes in our head. There's no character that's living that story out. Um, why is this thousands of year old story still relevant? Well, it's a, it's a common touch point. We all know the story. It's a metaphor we all know about. It has taught us a valuable lesson. And then renegotiating that lesson, it suddenly also makes it sort of relevant to us. The, the storyteller, in this case, Seth Godin, is sort of winking and nodding at us. I think kind of inside jokes are one of the best ways storytellers use to connect to audiences. And he's kind of winking and nodding and saying, hey, we share it. We share something. We know something together. I'm going to speak your language, and I'm also going to change, expand your knowledge of the world a little more. And when we have that turn of expectation, suddenly we are engaged in the story and we learn something that we couldn't learn from the data alone. You bring up a really interesting idea around mnemonics and or kind of ways to remember things. So if I'm thinking about the audience I'm speaking to, uh, and I want them to remember uh, me and my brand uh, and what I'm creating for them. I've heard a lot of data to suggest, and it seems to be, in my experience, accurate, that when I am have an onslaught of information coming my way, like you described at the beginning of this interview, and I have to curate what it is I'm going to pay attention to, that's a lot of burden to put on an audience, if I, especially in a marketing message. So talk a little bit about how important it is to give some kind of you know, three-step or eight-step waltz that people can kind of stay in tune with. And not only remember, but he, I think probably more important, share with others so that they might be interested in, in like I think about, you know, your effort of the story of stuff. I remember the moment uh, before, obviously way before I met you, that a friend forwarded it to me and said, finally, someone told the story in a way that I can share because it, it resonates with who I am and what I'm about. And I want everyone to know this. 
And of course, I forwarded it along to folks and there was a war going on. There was a negotiation on like, well, I think this guy's full of bunk and he's taking all this data and, you know, skewing it in this direction. Or, you know, you think about Barack Obama and his articulation of his values. And then you think of D'Souza and his interpretation, taking Obama's own words out of his own audiobook and making a, a documentary on, you know, basically turning everything that Obama is about on its face. And then it's left for the consumer. It's like, okay, so wh- which one do I jump into? And it seems like the rememberability of these things is pretty critical yeah. uh, to it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, the, the, the fallacy is maybe that we're all that we're all capable of taking in enough data that we can make an objective, that there's some objective truth that we can find and Obama's right or D'Souza's right or this is the right candidate for us. And in fact, that's not how our brains are deciding at all hmm. what, what we believe is truth. And as I said before, you know, stories, the values, values of the center of the story, that is as close as we can often get to finding agreement with a set of facts. Like, does, are these facts being presented in a way that shows a storyteller shares my values? And that's what creates trust. Because otherwise, you know, every fact can be manipulated to mean, some, to mean the opposite. But what you ask about sort of mnemonics and, and memory, I think is also incredibly important. How do you make it compelling? And there's two key things that I think you need to do to make something compelling. The story of stuff, for instance, had the facts right, had an interesting, or, you know, had the facts right in our worldview, right? I'm sure there's, you know, there, there are thousands of responses to it that show how wrong it was. <laughs> um, there's, had, you know, a kind of new presentation style, this happy, sweet young woman who was sharing the ideas in a non-jargony way. But it also introduced something memorable, which was, it was the first time anyone had seen that, anima- that animated whiteboard. Mm-hmm. It, she had a magic world that she could create, which was the stick figure animated whiteboard, which has been copied now thousands of times, but um, was really the first time anyone saw that. And if you ask people, what is this? Some people will tell you it's a story about all the stuff we make and throw away. Other people will say it's this amazing animation, a living whiteboard, and this, and then that's the first thing that they think about. And so I call, I call that piece of a brand the brand gift. So you're doing all this great stuff to call people on an exciting journey, you're getting them going, you're, you're, you're making them connect to their values, but you need to offer them something magical, something that makes your brand and your offering just different than everybody else's. And so you think about Luke Skywalker um, and Obi-Wan Kenobi, and he's like, go and you know, fight the empire. And he's just, I'm just like a teenager. I, I don't know anything. What do you want me to do? But then he gives him the, the knowledge of the force and that makes the journey possible. Or you know, uh, without the ruby red slippers, uh, Dorothy is lost forever in Oz. So how do you get people to sort of change their behavior, go on a new journey? And I think you need to figure out what is that magical, creative, humorous, uh, inspiring thing that I offer that no one else does. And that is the thing for all the, the value stuff and all the stories you tell, what you offer as a brand that's differentiated and magical is what they're going to most remember um, in the sort of the first mnemonic. The other thing that I say about quick recall is that our brains are incredibly attracted to things that we've not seen before. So when I talk about using characters in stories, um, it's very important that we bring all of our ideas and our, our abstractions down to the human scale, down to the level of one human being. But that human being, we so often play it safe. We often show the prototypical audience member, someone that no one could possibly object to or be, or be offended by. And the great campaigns actually always show us people that we've never seen before. And, oh, if that was a thumbnail, I just have to click on it because who is that? That's a, and I call that, you know, in the book, I call that freaks. You know? Right or totally break our expectations of how human beings are or should behave. So if you, you know, you want to go through the mechanics of figuring out, you know, what is the moral of my brand story? What are the values? But that's the kind of 
somewhat the head part of it. The, the creative and playful part is really then how do I introduce some sort of creative wild card that no one expected? No one expected Apple to add uh, you know, aesthetic design to computers, but when they did, it's like, wow, this makes this whole thing seem possible that a computer could really be a tool for self-expression. As we're finishing up, I, I want to come back around to application. It's incredibly motivating to go, okay, this does feel very human. And it is a powerful tool that we've been given. Like we just happen to be in a, in a moment in history where we actually, if we had a good story, it could actually reach a lot of people. And well, I guess if everyone's a marketer, humanity is getting in tune with that power and in a mad rush to create unique narratives that are meaningful for people who are hearing them. But if I'm hearing all of this for the first time and I'm entranced in these ideas, where do I start? Like, how do I, how do I begin to introspect around creating the characters that you're describing beyond the thought experiment of how these things all work in application for myname.com knowing what you know now if you were building a brand around a skill set especially a creative skill set where would you spend your first 90 days in building your story in the book i i started down this road which was very much tracked the road of my career, which was how do I throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks? How do I go viral right now? And I know that's what everyone wants. Just like, give me those tools to go viral. What I learned along the way is one, of course, going viral is this huge investment in something that, that has a 1% chance of actually working when it works, it's amazing. But it also, even when it works, can be very damaging. We've done movies that have literally gotten more than 20 million views where the client wishes they had not done it because suddenly they realized that they had asked for something wild and crazy. And then they're like, wait a minute, was that really in line with our brand? And yeah. we have, you know, you want something crazy, you got it. And it worked. So the first step in when I thought about the book is how do we step back from that? And I like that you asked the 90 day question. So it's not like, what can I do and be viral tomorrow? But what can I do in 90 days? Well, first we can step back and think about our personal brand as a story. Um, that unfolds in the mind between of, of ourselves and the audience. It's a relationship between us and the audience. And every tweet, every Facebook post, everything on our website needs to be part of that unfolding epic, that unfolding story, so people can get us, right? And to do that, I really preach this sort of five-part, simple, single-page work that you can do to, one, figure out what core values your audiences have and you share with them. And I talk a lot in the book about inadequacy marketing. You know, the old ads are all about how you're not going to be good enough or loved enough or happy enough if you don't engage with my brand. And the new marketing is all about empowerment. So what are those higher values that I stand for, that you stand for too? Two, what's the moral of my story? Three, as we mentioned, what is my unique brand gift? Four, what is my unique voice as a sort of mentor to my audiences? So what's my archetype and understanding yourself? How can I speak in a uniquely human voice? returning to my humanity as opposed to trying to copy that old 50s radio announcer telling people what to do. Yeah. Finally, how can I turn all my stories and all my communications right now outwards so that the audience is the hero? And how do I make the audience the hero of the story? We're, we're, so, we're so raised in the broadcast tradition that we keep talking about ourselves and no one cares. And it's like, well, how can I talk about you and what you need? Go inhabit one of your audience members, maybe someone you know, maybe someone prototypical, and write a letter from that audience member to a loved one about what's really holding them back, what's frustrating, why, and, and, and make it mythic. You know, play. Don't just say, I can't get enough uh, pictures of my kids, my camera's not great, I don't want to spend too much money, but really show what's connected to like their humanity. And then write that letter, and then imagine a, a meeting with a real human being you know, where they actually, someone tells them something. 
that, that gets them unstuck. Someone whispers something in their ear that gets them unstuck. Who is that human being that they want to meet? And what would they be told that would get them out of this stuck position? That's one way of starting to start to exploring your moral of the story. And think about, you know, this, this mythic adventure on the level of, you know, Frodo meeting Gandalf or Dorothy Greenwich. Like, get yourself into this symbolic world because the great storytellers never keep their feet on the ground. They, you know, they go out and they imagine it. If you can build that sort of brand strategy, those five parts, audience as hero, you as mentor, values, moral of the story, and understanding your brand gift, then you can, you can start doing the work of telling actual stories and always ask yourself, am I building this epic or am I somehow muddying it? The greatest thing about being a creative professional is that you don't just have to do it in words. You can instantly look at your body of work and think about, well, how do I make meaning of this in a different way, in a beautiful and compelling way? Because you've, you've got what you know, $100,000 clients of mine don't have, which is an awesome photo library. I mean, here's the thing, is that we, in the old days, and I think as marketers, we just were raised with this kind of thinking. In the old days, we could buy, we could spend money wherever we got that money, and we could buy audience attention. Now we have to partner with our audiences. They have to be part of the process, or else it will not get noticed, you know? And partnering with our audiences means putting our true selves out there. And if we do that work to understand ourselves, and we put something authentic and beautiful out there, um, you don't have to measure that in how many hundreds of thousands of views you got on your YouTube channel. You, you will measure that in how many people contact you and say, I got it. I, I want to be part of what your thing is. And that, that's been my process with the book too. Like I made the book really personal and I made the book really about sort of a journey that was personal shared between me and my audiences. And I've been, you know, really measuring my success in so many ways from people who wrote to me and said, this really changed my life. I want to be part of your thing. And that, and that's been a lot of clients in that mix too. So it's very easy to say, how many Facebook friends do I have? Or how many tweet, tw Twitter followers do I have now? Or how many views did I get on YouTube? But really, the process should be about um, how many authentic connections did I make? And how much did I learn about myself? Because again, I said, as I said, brand is experience. Going through this process will change the product you deliver as well. This was episode 005 of Converge, empowering the business of creativity. FastTrackCreative.com is our home base. You can find everything we've got there from community to resources to a genius recorder to courageously ask your own question. Theme music for Converge provided by TripleScoopMusic.com. Sound as good as you look. Speaking of sounding good, how are we doing? Will you share? Comments always welcome on the website, at FastTrackPhoto on Twitter, and ratings for Converge over at iTunes. Thanks again to Jonah for his insights and for you for tuning in. I'm your host, Dane Sanders. See you here next time.